0: Leviticus chapter 2. Now, if you weren't uh, with us last week, I encourage you to either grab a CD or get online and listen to it, because we set the scene for what we're going to be doing here for the next few weeks here. We're not doing a whole study through the book of Leviticus. We're really just going to study the five sacrifices that are in the book of Leviticus. And these sacrifices are a picture of what the Old Testament was like, but also, more importantly, it's a picture of us and it's also a picture of Christ. With that being said, once again, I encourage you to go back and grab the lesson because we started out last week with an introduction that went into Hebrews and talked about how Jesus became the high priest and how the sacrificial system was a picture of him. Because sometimes when you read through this book, like Leviticus, you say, okay, God, what is the point of this? First off, number one, it's quite boring. And number two, it just goes on and on about stuff that doesn't apply to us today. It's a picture of Christ, though. Remember, Jesus said the whole of the book was written about me. So as you go through this, you're going to see Jesus in this. And I encourage you to go back, grab that, listen to that. It really sets the scene for what we're doing. And remember, the trivia question from last week was, Leviticus is the book that has the most recorded words of God in it. Because Leviticus is basically God just speaking to Israel, saying, this is what I want. So, Getting into that, last week we talked about the burnt offering, and now we're going to talk about the grain offering. Now, I have to say this from the beginning. Does anybody have good old King James out there? John, what type of offering do we have in chapter 2? Meat offering. Yes, a meat offering of flour. So it has not anything to do with meat in any way whatsoever. So if you have King James and you are following along and I'm talking about grain offerings and you're like, my translation says meat If you go look that word up in the original Hebrew, it actually means grain. But King James translates it meat. So just an FYI there, there is no meat involved in this sacrifice in any way whatsoever. This is all grain offering. So, a little bit of tidbit there. With that being said... Leviticus chapter 2. We're going to do the same thing we did last week. We're going to go back and talk about what the offering was, and then we're going to talk about how it applies to us today. So first thing that happens, here's verse 1. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, one of whom shall take from his handful of fine flour and oil with the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron and his sons. It's most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. So you want to do a grain offering. You go and you take some of this flour. And you take this flour. You have to put a little bit of frankincense in it. You have to put some oil in it. You're going to take it up to the priest. The priest is going to take a handful out. And that handful is going to be used for the actual offering. The rest of it, the priest gets to take home. And he gets it for himself. So that way he can eat it. Well... Let's continue on here. Verse 4. And if you bring an offering, a grain offering, baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, or you can jump ahead here. Verse 7. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan. So you could do this offering one of three ways. You could either do it in an oven. You could do it in a covered pan. You could do it just in a pan. There's three different ways that you could do this offering. This offering is shared between the priests and also the actual offering, this offering is burned with fire. Jumping head here, verse 9, The priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. That portion's God's. It is an offering made of by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, which would be very sweet. Last week when we talked about the burnt offering, we talked about how the animal was completely burned on the fire except for the skins. And we said if you walk by, it smelled like a barbecue. And remember correctly, we had those pictures up that we put up there uh, on the PowerPoint that showed what the altar was. Remember, this altar was huge. It's about 7 foot by 7 foot, about four and a half foot tall. This thing is huge. So last week you have this animal being burnt. It's going to smell like a barbecue when you walk by. When this one's being taken, it's going to smell great. Frankincense was this, was this beautiful uh, aroma that would come out, and it would smell wonderful as you walk by. As soon as you walk by... You'd be able to say what's going on. Oh, barbecue, burn offering. Oh, nope, this one's a grain offering. I can smell the frankincense. You'd be able to tell by the aroma what it is. Moving on here now. uh, Verse 11. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey, the offering to the Lord made by fire. So now we're getting to the no-nos. No leaven, no honey. But here's something interesting. Verse 13. And every offering of your grain offering shall season with salt. And you should not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. So pretty straightforward. You bring the flour in. You put some oil in it. You put some frankincense in it. The priest takes out a handful, which is completely burned on the altar. Remember, the altar is huge right there in front of the tabernacle. The rest of it, the priests get to take home. And uh, you don't have any leaven in it. You don't have any honey in it. And you have to make sure that you have salt in it. And if if you want to know a little bit more detail here about this, this was a daily sacrifice also in the temple. If you look in chapter 6, it was supposed to be offered every morning and every evening. Every morning and every evening. So that's the grain offering. Now, once again, if you look at it from truly a Leviticus point of view, you just read chapter 2 and you think, I just wasted 10 minutes of my life and I have no idea what the importance of any of this type of stuff is. This is why I love these chapters. Because now we get to go back and say, what does this mean, Lord? If, if you've got to look at it from this perspective. If Jesus said, the whole of the book is written about me, okay, God, what does anything in Leviticus 2 have to do with Christ? If you said, Lord, in Hebrews 9, 10, and 11, that this priesthood, this sacrificial system is a picture of Jesus, what am I supposed to get out of it? And you've got to remember also in Hebrews, the Bible says that the temple, the tabernacle, was really a shadow of things that were what? Up in heaven. God says this is really just a shadow of what's going on up in heaven. Lord, what does Leviticus 2 mean? Let's break it down and let's take a look at it. We talked about last week how Leviticus 1, the burnt offering, showed total dedication to God. The animal was completely consumed. Completely consumed. Even its innards was completely consumed. You You took out the entrails, the Bible said, and washed them. And we talked about how that represented you being washed from the inside out in Jesus Christ, and your body is placed on the altar of God, and you're completely consumed by God. Nothing left over. And God doesn't want your skin. Remember, the only thing not used in the sacrifice was the skin. We said God doesn't want your skin, He wants your heart. We have too many Christians that are Christians by skin only, not by heart. God says, I want everything. That's burn offering, total consumed by God. Leviticus 2, grain offering, is now your service. Your ministry to God. Now let's talk about how it is. First off, did you know in verse 2, excuse me, verse 1, chapter 2, it's voluntary. When anyone offers a grain offering, you don't have to do this offering. This is only if you want to, you have to do it. You are never required to do this as an individual. Now, as the priesthood in Leviticus 6, they were required to do this every morning and every night. But you, as an individual, you could be born a good Jew. And never do a grain offering your entire life if you didn't want to. God's not going to force you into it. What's that mean for you and I today? You can get saved in Jesus, and you never have to serve. Now, to be quite honest, you're missing out on something. But is God ever going to make you serve? Now, we'll announce that we need help. We get together on a weekly basis, the staff out here, and we pray. And sometimes we say, hey, this person we think would be good for this position. And we go up to them and say, hey, would you prayerfully consider this? but we're not going to make you guys do anything, and God's not going to make you do anything. It is completely voluntary. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to serve. It reminds me of that passage in Isaiah chapter 6, when God is standing there on the throne saying, whom shall I send? And what was Isaiah's response? Here I am, send me. God did not make Isaiah do anything. He waited for Isaiah to respond. Now, we've been saying a lot out here at church, the two W's, worship and witness. Your two goals in life is to worship and witness. God's created you for those two things only. If you are feeling empty spiritually, if you're kind of feeling a little bit of what's the point of this whole Christianity thing, check yourself. Do you have a heart of worship? Not just Wednesdays at 7 o'clock, but do you have a heart of worship of God? I give you the glory no matter what's happening in my life. And do you have a heart of witnessing of, Lord, I want to spread the gospel? Those are the two reasons you're here on this earth is worship and witness. Once you have worship and witness down, I want to throw a third one at you is service. God wants you to serve. That is why he did this. He wants you to go out and serve. We're going to build on that. So that's what this is about. What's the oil represent? Well, everybody knows oil represents what? Holy Spirit. Anytime you see oil in the Old Testament, you can always mark down Holy Spirit. So the oil is the Holy Spirit. Now, frankincense, what's the first thing you think of when you think of frankincense? Think of Jesus. Because when Jesus was born, they brought him gold, myrrh, and frankincense. So, if you want to serve God, first thing you need is verse 1, a willing heart. The second thing you need is oil, Holy Spirit. And the third thing you need is frankincense, Jesus. What's the point of serving if you're not doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit? What's the point of serving if you're not doing it for Jesus Christ? What's the point? If you're just out there to serve with no oil or no frankincense, why are you doing it? That's emptiness. You serve voluntarily through the power of the Holy Spirit, the oil, and you serve voluntarily because of the frankincense. Jesus, you want to serve him. So it's a voluntary offering that represents all voluntary service done in the power of the Holy Spirit, the oil, and done with the frankincense, which represents once again Jesus. Now go to the next part here. Did you catch this? Part of it is taken and burned on the altar for God. The other part is taken to the priesthood. Who gets nothing? The person bringing the offering, did you catch that? You're bringing the offering, you're paying for the oil, you're paying for the frankincense, and you're paying for the flour. And what do you get out of this offering? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. See, here's the problem of service in the body of Christ. We have such a selfish attitude in our world today. Oh, I'll serve. But well, what do I get out of it? Nothing. Nothing. You mean, I'm going to come to church early, and I'm going to do this or that. I'm going to clean the church when no one sees or recognizes. Or I'm going to go help in the back, and no one may even know I'm serving in nursery today. Or I'm going to go do this or do that behind the scenes, and no one's going to notice. That's absolutely right. The only people that see it is the priesthood and God. Do you realize how many people are out here doing things that the only people that may notice is maybe me or, or someone else that's out here, and it's like, oh, I didn't know you were out here. Yeah, I just wanted to take care of this. Or you know how many people know who's serving in the back? Sometimes you're serving in the back and you don't even know it. That's why we have to come tell you, you know? Tony knows who serves in the back. I don't even know who serves in the back every Sunday or Wednesday. But you know what? God knows it. Isn't that amazing? That's what this represents. The only people that are going to know you do this offering are you and the Lord, and maybe you'll run into somebody. Well, of course you'll run into the priesthood, but maybe you'll run into somebody at church. Problem is with serving. So often, subconsciously, we want to be noticed. God, do you not see what I am doing? Do, do, do the people not see the sacrifice? I am back there with 15 three-year-olds. Does not a single person notice that? God notices. Or, you know what, I came out here, and it was my week to clean the church, and you know what, there was this event going on earlier in the week, and those people did nothing to clean up, and so it took twice as long. Does not anybody see my service? The Lord sees it. See, the purpose of this grain offering is not for other people to pat you on the back and say, wow, you did a grain offering, good for you. This is a total service offering where you get absolutely nothing out of it. If you look at serving at church as I want something out of it, then you're missing the point of serving. The purpose of serving is not for you, it's for everybody else. One of the things I like to tell people when people come into my office and they say either, hey, I'm feeling really depressed, I'm feeling really discouraged, or I'm feeling really empty in the Lord, what do I need to do? well, you know, we need to get back in the scripture, we need to get back in the word, get back in the church. And one of the first things I say is, well, where do you serve? I don't feel like I could serve anywhere. I'm in such an emotional wreck right now. There's nothing I could do. No, that's when you need to serve. See, the problem is when you don't serve, you get, once again, as we've said numerous times out here, those ingrown eyeballs where the only thing is you. See, as soon as you serve in some ministry, you have to for a while not focus on you. You have to focus on somebody else, some other kid, uh, some other service, some other ministry. The purpose of serving is to get our eyes off of us and back on the Lord. And what happens is if we're feeling very depressed and discouraged, sometimes the best thing we could do is serve to remind us it's not about us. It's not about me, Lord. It's about you. It's about furthering the kingdom. Flip ahead real quick. We're going to go to two references here. The first one's going to be in John 13, but we're going to go to Philippians 2 first. So Philippians 2, and then we're going to John 13. Philippians 2, and uh, check out this right here, verse 3. Philippians 2, verse 3. Philippians 2 verse 3 Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. One of the biggest problems we have in Christianity today is selfishness. We're selfish in our marriage. Why doesn't my mate look at my needs more? We're selfish in our job. Why don't people notice what I do? We're selfish in life. Why is it that I'm always giving my time to other people, but no one ever pays attention to me? We're selfish in our spirituality with Christ. Lord, how come nothing good ever happens to me? We're selfish in our service. Well, what are people doing for me? God says, the heart of Christ is to do, verse 4, let each one of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Service and ministry dare I say, force you to take a different perspective in life of it's not all about me. It's about other things. And if anybody's ever served before, I heard a pastor say one time, sometimes serving is more of a stressing than a blessing. And there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. This year for VBS, my place of service was I was with the toddlers. I don't know what I did wrong, but I was with the toddlers. And... Now, I, I worked with Tony, and I love working with Tony. I love absolutely working with Tony. Tony does a bang-up job with the kids. But I tell you right now, that was tough. That was real tough. And, you know, you you sit there sometime and you think, wow, Lord, what did I sign up for here? You know, what's going on? There's been other times out here at church where i will be in the middle of doing something. And it's like, Lord, check my heart because my heart's not in the right spot about this. See, that verse always comes to mind of God loves a cheerful giver. So I have people come up and say, well, I'm not cheerful about it, so obviously I'm not called to do it. No, sometimes you're called to do it, and if you're not cheerful about it, God says, let's do a heart check. There's a lot of things I'm not cheerful about, but yet it's still something the Lord has called me to do. Now, I always have to throw this little disclaimer out there because you need to go where you're led to go. Sometimes we serve in areas we're not called to serve, and we constantly keep trying to force the square peg into the round hole type thing. Sometimes you do need to step back and say, okay, Lord, am I really called to serve in this position? And if I'm not called to serve here, the best thing I could do is step back from this area. But sometimes we try to convince ourselves, well, I must not be called to do it. Sometimes serving is tough. Ministry is tough. Look here at John 13 now. John 13, verse 12. So when he, meaning Christ, had washed their feet, taking his garments and sat down again, he said to him, Do you not, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, Our servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You remember, washing feet was the lowest of the low jobs back in Old Testament times. It was the lowest of the low jobs. You know, they wore open-toed sandals back there. Everywhere they went was dirt. Feet, it was an absolutely disgusting thing. So when you went to any house that had any type of prestige or power, the servant with the lowest of the low, the first thing they would do was wash your feet. Jesus did that. Now, just stop for a second. Really focus on that. The creator of the universe washed feet. That's mind-boggling. The next time you're out here at church and you are singing Awesome God, that awesome God got on his hands and knees and washed feet. That's service. That's servanthood. And he even went one step further by serving to the point of death on the cross. Nothing is below you, nothing's below me. Nothing. God said, I have set the example. And sometimes servanthood is not physically doing something, sometimes servanthood is, I will hold my tongue. Sometimes servanthood is, I won't respond. Because as a servant of Christ, I will take the lower level here and I won't respond to those words, those accusations, that anger. I will be a servant and not let my emotions get the best of me. I will serve the Lord by doing nothing sometimes, by not responding. God set the example. So, this offering is shared between the Lord and the priest and the person bringing it gets nothing. Jump back now to Leviticus 2. Now, it can be offered three ways. It could be offered as a baked in the oven. It could be offered as a pan. It could be offered in a covered pan. Three different ways that you could do it. In our lingo, we could say stick it in the oven, uh, put it in a skillet, or maybe put in a skillet with a lid on top of it. You could do it one of three ways. And I find this very interesting because anytime you get into sacrifices of in the book of Leviticus, God is so detailed oriented. Why in the world did he give three different options? Because here's the deal you take any three people, let's pick just the simplest. Job, uh, cleaning the church out here. Three of us are asked to clean the church. Each one of us are going to do what? Clean the church a different way. And is, is, is any way wrong? I maybe would say that your least favorite thing to do is sweep, so I'm going to do the sweeping first because I hate it and I want to get it out of the way. Oh, well, you're baking yours in the oven. Next person comes in and says, you know what? Uh, sweeping doesn't bother me, so I'm going to go ahead and sweep first. Well, you're doing yours in the pan. Third person comes in and says, well, I guess I'm in the sanctuary. I might as well sweep it first. You're doing yours in the covered pan. Is any way right or wrong? No. Each one likes to do it differently. That's the beauty of service. You may do something different for the Lord, and I may do the same thing, but I may go a totally different angle or direction with it, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You can offer your grain offering one of three ways. Hey, go ahead. Take it out there. Do it whatever way you want. You want to serve the Lord? You may do it differently than me. That's a blessing. That's a freedom in Christ. You know what the problem is, though? The problem is when I'm doing my offering in the oven, and I see you're doing yours in the pan, I want you to do yours like mine. Well, don't do your offering in the pan. Do it in the oven. Well, I want to do it in the pan. No, I want you to do it in the oven. Like that doesn't happen in the church. Well, I think you should run an event that way. Well, I'm the one running an event. I want to run it this way. Well, I think you should. We can all offer the sacrifice different. This runs, happens a lot on both sides. We have somebody come in from a different church, and they said, hey, we were at this church, and you know, I, you know, we lived out west, and we did this thing out west or down south, and it really worked, and was really neat, and I want to do it here. Okay, we'll see where the Lord goes with it. So maybe they try and it doesn't work. Because maybe out west or down south, they did the offering in the oven, and it would only work if we do it up here in the pan. And that's also been flipped. I've had people contact me saying, hey, as a church, I've seen you've done this. I had a church contact me one time about our car care ministry. I said, man, I've heard about your car care ministry. Really neat, you know, we're doing like 15, 20 cars a time. How would you guys do it? How would it set up? And I told them. And then I said at the end, I said, but you've got to remember, that's what works for us. The Lord may lead you in a totally different direction. See, one of the things I like to do is when I go visit other churches, I love to steal things. And I don't mean literally, okay? I don't literally steal things. I love to steal ideas, okay? I love to look around and say, how did you, oh, that's a neat idea. I come back here. If you remember correctly, last year I went down to Indianapolis at a Calvary Chapel. Went down there for a Wednesday night service, spent some time with the staff and pastors. Took all these notes. Brought it back, showed them to the staff out here, and they're like, yeah, that won't work. Well, it works for them. Yeah, it works for them because that's the way they do it down in Indianapolis. they their offering in the pan. Ours is an oven. Everything is a little different. The way you do devotions, the way you clean the church, the way you teach the classroom, the way you run your VBS group, the way you do this, the way you do that is going to be a little different than the way somebody else does it. And God says with the grain offering, That is okay. If you went to a different offering like the burn offering last week and said, Hey, high priest, I know it says you're supposed to have the skin and I'm supposed to burn everything else, but you know what? I really want a nice rug for my room, so I'm going to keep the skin and you can take this. No, no deal. That has to be done that way. See, service, though, we can do things a little different. And if somebody serves a little differently than you, don't let Satan get in there and plant a seed of bitterness. Well, they should do it this way. Well, maybe that's the way you would do it. But it not be the way they do it. They want to do theirs in the pan, let them do it in the pan. You want to do yours in the oven, do it in the oven. There's nothing wrong with that. Let's move on here. We're running out of time. No leaven. Numerous references throughout the New Testament. Leaven always represents sin. If you're taking notes here, Galatians 5, 8-9. through 9, Galatians 5, 8-9. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 8. We could go on and on. Leaven represents sin. What does leaven do? Leaven makes things expand and rise. Well, that's what happens. You let a little bit of leaven into your life. You let a little bit of sin into your life. Sin takes over. So you don't want the leaven. So leaven represents sin. Did you notice in verse 13, the word salt is mentioned three times. Anytime God repeats something, have your ears perk up. And every offering of your grain offering shall season with salt. Okay, he told us. Look at the next part there. You should not allow the salt of the covenant of your God be lacking from your grain offering. Okay, Lord, you already told us once. Number three, with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Now, why would he in one verse tell you three times to make sure you use salt? Because salt is a key component in the New Testament. One commentator said this, salt, it preserves, it purifies, and it seasons. And that's exactly what salt is supposed to do: is preserves, purifies, and seasons. In Colossians chapter four, verse six, Colossians four, verse six has a wonderful verse here. It says, "Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one." Check your words. Are your words preserving, purifying, and seasoning? We have this little phrase where we like to stick salt in a wound, don't we? See, that shows something that's harmful and hurting. See, God says, no, your words are supposed to be something that is a purifying thing. It encourages the listener. It helps the listener. It preserves the listener. It seasons. That's what salt is supposed to be doing. You can even go one step further. In Matthew 5.13, Christ said, we're the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be in this earth to be a purifying thing of pointing people towards Christ, of being a preserving thing to preserve morality and goodness in Jesus Christ. Then going one step further in the book of Mark chapter 9, the Bible says if salt loses its saltiness, what are you supposed to do? Toss it. What God is saying is, wait a second. If you're not being salt, He says, what am I supposed to use you for? goes back to last week. I don't need skins. I don't want skin, Christians. I want hearts. God is saying now in Leviticus 2, He goes, I want salt. If you're not being salty preserving, purifying, seasoning, he goes, what what am I supposed to use you for? And how many times do we as a sacrifice, as a ministry, lose our saltiness of really what purpose are we doing? We're just going through the motions. Last thing I want to say about this. In Leviticus 6, it was supposed to be offered every morning and every evening. So basically, as soon as they got up in the morning, they did a grain offering that represented what? Service and ministry to the Lord. Before they went to bed at night, what do they did they do? They did a grain offering that represented service and ministry to the Lord. When do you ever not serve? You never stop. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Be prepared in season and out of season. See, too many times as Christians, we think we do our job, and then we're done. No. We're always serving, morning and night. I heard a pastor say one time, do you want to rest? Well, Hebrews says you have all of eternity to rest. The reason we're on this earth is to work. Maybe we should add a third W, worship, witness, and work. Service, ministry, that's what we're here for. And this is what the grain offering represents. You offering yourself up, looking for nothing in return, nothing in return, just to say, Lord, I want to serve. I want to serve. And you know what? There's a cost that goes involved with this. Oil would not have been cheap. You know what would have been more expensive than oil? Frankincense. Do you realize these Jews, wandering the wilderness for 40 years, they would not have had an easy supply of frankincense in any way whatsoever. To get frankincense would be a sacrifice of time, energy, and also money. Just like last week, the burnt offering... You had to pay for that animal. It was a sacrifice. There would be a sacrifice in this grain offering too. And what do I get out of this? Nothing. Nothing. So, wife, husband, next time you go home and your spouse is being a jerk, wash their feet. I don't mean literally, but wash their feet. You may get nothing out of it. That's a grain offering. Next time you go into work tomorrow and you're stuck with something very, very difficult and no one cares, no one notices, you're getting no pat on the back for it, Wash feet. It's frankincense. It'll be an expense. It'll be costly, but give up your time, energy, and resources. The Lord, notice. Colossians 3, what's it say? Work as if working for the Lord, not for man. That's the purpose of this is, Lord, I serve you. I give it to you, looking and expecting nothing in return. I give you everything over to you. So, grain offering, Leviticus chapter 2. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about this before we close up? Yeah, Megan. When you serve, you learn. That, that is very, very true. I, I know for me, um, obviously I did not go to seminary in any way whatsoever, and I know that any time a new situation popped up out here at church and you had to serve in that capacity, um, it, was, it was good. It was a learning thing. And so often we stay away from areas of service, but sometimes God says that's how you learn, and maybe you learn humility, <laughs> but you learn. That's a good one, Megan. I like that. Yeah, John. I'm going to, you know, I don't know for sure what reference you're talking about there because I do know it talks about in Revelation about the bottomless pit being opened um, in Revelation 9. But for me, personally, if I'm up in heaven, last thing I want to see are the people that didn't get saved. Because that, and that's not a selfish thought, but that purpose of heaven is there says there's no more tears. Yeah. Yeah, and, and maybe, I don't know, like I said, I, I'm looking at Revelation 9 here where maybe the bottomless pit is open, and I think there's another one later on. I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but if you find that reference, let me know because I wouldn't mind getting a chance to chew on that a little bit. So. Anybody else have anything I want to say before we go ahead and close up? Marty, right, let's pray. Lord, we come to you now, and uh, we're all asked to serve in different areas. And Lord, uh, I, I'm sure with this message, there was things the Spirit was putting on our heart where we need to serve you. We need to humble ourselves and say, Okay, Lord, it's yours. Lord, help us. We're such a selfish people. We're always looking out for us and what we get in return. Lord, help us to follow your example of not looking out for us, but just looking out for you. Lord, we do want to witness. We do want to worship, and we do want to work. And, Lord, show us our area of service because we want to serve you in that capacity. We don't want to be fruitless. We don't want to be empty. We don't want to be spiritually dry. We want to be on fire for you, Lord, and we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right. guys have a good week, and God bless.